what does insight-driven messaging look like for sales? Like a whole lot more deals, fast. Jump on high-intent leads in the moment with Intercom, the business messenger that extends the reach of your team 24-7. Intercom creates more opportunities for you by booking meetings and collecting data from leads automatically. Take Intercom user Elegant Themes. They now convert 25% of leads through Intercom's messenger. Deals don't wait. Get them with Intercom. Go to intercom.com deals. That's intercom.com deals. Hey, welcome back. Time to grab your board and swim out into that big sea of ideas that's washing up in the shore right now. See if you can catch a wave. Like the man who always catches the latest wave. He's, he's just, he's ahead of all of us here, Mannheim. Paul, is that a West Virginia Mountaineers hat I see on your head <laughs> yes. right now? Yes, it is, because uh, we do a show on West Virginia University's School of Data Marketing Communications. Data Marketing Communications, they have an online school. We do a program with them, and they were kind enough to send me a cap. I'm trying to hope that maybe Matt Hines will send me a cap here. <laughs> We could probably figure out a way to do that. I was, just, I was impressed. I, I've never been to West Virginia, have never been to West Virginia University. I did read an article about a year ago about – it was a series about sort of tailgate cultures around college football. And right. apparently West Virginia is well-known. Like you get the tailgates, it's about two things. It literally – it's about pepperoni rolls and moonshine. <laughs> and there's a whole article about like the, 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 the origins of that. Wow. And so I had a call with a prospect a couple months ago. <laughs> And she was from West Virginia, and I said, I happened to say, like, just I just asked her. I said, so, like, just I have to ask, like, is this a thing? She said, where? How did you find that out? It's yeah. apparently a real deal. Wow. We'll have to ask our guest today, who is uh, West Virginia, might be a little, a little more Yankee, a little more North than he tends to play. He's a, <laughs> he's a, he's a Tennessee native, who's a Georgia alum, who's uh, I'm sure going to be watching very closely. And for you know what else football. he is? He's not just an alum of uh, that school. He's an alum of the Matt Hines School of uh, propelling people onto bigger and better careers here. Oh, I don't know if I think it's the other way around. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, before we get to our guest today, just want to welcome everyone again to Sales Pipeline Radio. Thanks for joining us. This is our first episode of 2020. So thank you very much for joining us. If you're joining us live on the uh, Funnel Media Radio Network, thanks so much, as always, for joining us and making us a part of your workday. And if you're catching us on the podcast feed, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we've been doing this for, I think, four years now. Our, our listenership last year exceeded our listenership from the first three years combined, wow. which is amazing. Wow. So amazing. thank you so much, everyone who is listening and subscribing to Sales Pipeline Radio and every episode of those past years. You can find past, present, and future on salespipelineradio.com. Every week, we're featuring some of the best and brightest minds in sales and marketing, and today is absolutely no different. Robert Pease, I met, I don't know how many years ago. He was a client. He's been the CMO at a number of organizations He's a marketing leader. He's a thought leader. He's the former co-host of the Marketing Cranks podcast. Mm, going the Wayback Machine, Mr. Peace. Thank you for joining us today. Matt Hines. Very good to talk. Happy New Year. And a lot, <laughs> lot of pressure on this because of the first show of 2020, especially with an audience and all those other things. And, you know, you and Paul are doing a great job of sort of making me sound really good. So maybe I should just let you two talk and uh, <laughs> uh, not say so much. But, you know, it's interesting. I'll give you a – so I went to the University of Georgia in our, you know, some years ago. But the tailgating there was all about Jim Beam and Coke and fried chicken. It was kind of uh, was, uh, the type of stuff you started consuming at 9 o'clock in the morning. So, Have you ever had a pepperoni there. roll? Have you, have you been to West Virginia and or have you had a West Virginia pepperoni roll? I have been in the state of West Virginia. I have not been to West Virginia University. So I don't know – I don't even know what I would – I don't even know what that is. got to be honest with you other than what it sounds like that you just roll pepperoni and eat it. Uh, 
Uh, I think it's probably, <laughs> that's, that'd be that'd be funny if that is literally what it is. It's just pepperonis <laughs> rolled around your fingers. I, from what I understand, <laughs> it basically is. It's kind of like assume it's like a pizza, but instead of like having a slice of pizza, you've got like pepperoni on dough that somehow is cooked and then rolled up. And apparently, the origin is this was lunch for the miners. Like this was food that they could take oh, with yeah. them down into the mine and it was fine and it was tasty and that's what they did. And so now I don't know if they took moonshine into the mine. I would hope not, but um, it uh, sounds tasty. Uh, you know, maybe we might have to try it. I have to find a recipe and we'll give that a shot, but I was excited to have you on. I mean, so Robert, we go back a ways. You were a client. I think when we first met you, um, you've done work yep. with a lot of companies in a marketing leadership capacity, and you are now living out of Bend, Oregon, and you are on the investment side. So talk a little bit about kind of what you're doing now and how you're helping young companies start to grow and be successful. Yeah, no, thanks. And uh, we do go uh, way back. We've done everything from drink beer together to run to everything in between. So it's been a, a good good to know. Yeah, so so currently uh, managing director of Cascade Seed Fund, which is an early stage investment fund. Actually fortunate to be based out of Bend, Oregon to do that. We invest in Oregon and the broader Pacific Northwest into technology and consumer products companies, mostly direct to consumer products companies and the sort of first institutional money they're going to raise. So you start a company, you begin to get some traction, get some users, get some customers and they're looking for a little bit outside capital so pretty early on my background as you said matt is kind of on the operating side and then was fortunate to work with you a little bit as as, uh, kind of a fractional you know cmo cro for a variety of companies but always very focused on funnel and growth and consistently the normally what happens is that a company will start and it'll build a product and it'll get some early customers and then the question is always let's grow and how can we grow faster and why are we you know not growing fast enough and sales cycle and all those other things so there is no, as we've talked about, no magic pixie dust, um, or I guess better, there's no silver bullet other than Coors Light in the world. So there's lots of sort of method and process to do to try to to try to grow a company's revenue. And so on this side of it, you know, whether I'm uh, a good investor or bad, I guess we'll see because uh, the feedback loop on where we invest is very long. So if you're running a company, you know within a week or a quarter how you're doing with the stage we invest at. It's, you know, five six years before you fail realize if you're any good at doing this. So I think I'm still in the zone of not knowing if I'm any good at this, but um, you get the privilege of working with a lot of great entrepreneurs, fortunate enough to sort of partner with some and actually um, own a little bit of their companies. I mean, it's, it's fascinating where you are now and sort of the stage of companies you're working with, right? Because these aren't the later stage companies that are like, we clearly have momentum, we just need to make this scale. Oftentimes, you're working with companies that are still at the, we have an idea, we vetted it, we think it's got something, we still have to go prove there's a market here. When you're at that sort of earlier stage of growth, is it how do you think about the chicken or egg game of we have to build a product that is what the market right. needs versus going out and actually creating a sales and marketing infrastructure to scale it? Yeah, I mean, you know, what you'll see a lot is, you know, one, you've, you've got to find a problem to solve. And I, it was paraphrased from somewhere, and I don't I don't have any original thoughts. I just take other people's, but I don't cite them correctly. That, that as a startup, if you're going to do business, especially in the B2B space, right, if you're going to be doing business with an enterprise, like, they have to be desperate to do business with you because you're new and you're young and you're unproven. You're not IBM, right, and you're not Microsoft and you're not SAP. And so... You know, burrowing in on those kind of problems and just kind of, I think that mindset is is a, is an important one, right? Which is why would you want to do business with me? Well, clearly I have such a big problem to solve that no one else can do it. And so what happens then is you get a hold of those things and when you get a beat on those, that's great. And a lot of times the founder of the company uh, or the founding team, right? They're the they're sort of the visionary salespeople, right? And they're the the ones that are doing it. And I think there's a real maturing step that has to happen in a company where it's beyond just founder-based selling. And you're trying to get to this plane of an average salesperson selling an average deal. 
and there's so much within that, right, which is that you've got some level of repeatability, you know, your ideal customer is, you've got good qualification on, on your leads and on your sales opportunities. And then there's a playbook almost, right, that you can go out and you can hire a competent salesperson that they can execute. It doesn't mean the founder stops selling. I mean, Mark Benioff still uh, of Salesforce, right, still is involved in, in closing deals. I think that always happens. But the, a lot of the sort of core process around sales and customer acquisition, you know, to really move beyond sort of the first handful of customers or the first even million bucks of revenue, if you're trying to get to three to five to ten, you got to get to where you let go of the reins a little bit as the founder. And you're sort of getting to this world where you're trying to find the average salesperson selling an average deal. Still can be complex, right? Still can take a long time. But that's back to the repeatability. Because if you start throwing money at customer acquisition without kind of having that beat on who you're trying to sell to, right, or, or what the process is, you can waste a lot of money. And then cash is a very precious resource at the early stage of a company. So you got to have some discipline around it. Well, you just brought up, I think, a really good part of this is as you're, as the evolution of the birth of a company. You may say that we're not going to build out a sales and marketing structure and scale until we have some proof of concept. So the CEO or the founders are going to be the initial sales team and they're going to vet it out and be scrappy up front. But I think the, the one thing you mentioned that is critical is knowing who you're selling to and why, right? So there's a component of defining that ideal customer profile, defining the buying committee and the buying journey and understanding the needs behind the product you're solving that provides, I think, a foundation not only for why you're building the product and what features you're triaging, but also how you build the foundation for that sales and marketing process without infrastructure that's still the right message to the right person at the right time. Yeah, for sure. You know, and, and, and sort of building on that, where we invest, so we're not a concept stage investor, right, um, or a pre-revenue generally investor. We, we can lean pretty early on. But I tell companies, try to be very clear about this. A lot of this is this uh, personal and professional vendetta I have to try to demystify fundraising because as an entrepreneur, I, I sucked at it and failed, and I think I still sucked at it and did it. And um, it was always very complicated to me. And so I try to be very clear with, with folks. So what we look for are three things, right, three boxes to check, which is, one, can you build the thing you think you can build, which means you've moved it out of PowerPoint. Right, and there's a thing. Um, again, this back to cost curves being bent down. It doesn't take a tremendous amount of capital to build a, an initial version of a product. Second box that we want to have checked is: Does anybody care enough, or do people care? Like, think about it like that. And so, what this is is that you've moved beyond your friends and your family, and the people that don't want to hurt your feelings, and you've gotten out in the wild with it. Right, trials or pilots or proofs of concept, something like that. And the third box that we want to have checked is: Does anybody care enough to pay? And it's not that we're you know, not aware of the stage we invest in. It's that the maturing that happens in a company when it goes through its commercial motion of actually securing a customer is significant. So in a, in a direct selling model, direct revenue model, which is knock on the door and tell you my thing and you buy my thing from me, right? There's discipline around that. But if you have a more complicated model that has to do with you know, transaction volume or commission or you know, some sort of indirect revenue stream, you've got to go through that for your own good. Um, before you begin to go and try to access capital, and for two reasons. One, it'll be harder to sort of make the case that you are needing capital because you've got a lot of risk in the business you haven't um, sorted out yet. But the other is that as an entrepreneur, you've actually increased the value of your business. So you're selling less of it um, to someone like me when you've gone through those three cycles. So embedded within that is sort of knowing who you're selling to. And you won't all the time know that, right? I mean, the assumptions sort of yeah. you know, last until you leave the four walls of your office, but you've got to get outside and say, well, I think people are going to find this value and do this thing with it. And a lot of times, right through the process, people say, well, I don't have that problem. 
but I have this problem, and I think that will solve this. It's that flexibility to understand that the things you think that you've got figured out early on may not be the actual things, and you get this kind of sort of uh, virtuous feedback cycle can sometimes be a little rough and tumble as you're trying to get a product out in the market. That's for sure. We're talking today on Sales Pipeline Radio with Robert Pease. In your role at Cascade Seed Fund, as well as just you know separately, like you're serving on on the boards and sort of a leadership capacity for a lot of companies. And I want to talk a little bit about as as a board member, as an investor, how do you not just think about marketing, but when the company comes back and describes their marketing plan, describes how marketing is doing and how they're reporting on it, what do you as an investor want to see, and what are you looking for? Yeah, a lot in that. Yeah. I have the, the benefit or the curse, right, of having sat at the table in board meetings as a VP marketing or even as a CEO and uh, and talking to investors about it. I think a, a lot of it is as, as capital is brought into a business, right, or, or funds are available and funds are invested, let's say we're going to have. It's 2020, we're going to spend $500,000 on marketing. The sort of place that you're sort of getting to the nirvana state, right, is that you drop a dollar in on one side and $3 fall out to the other, right, and that you've got that kind of machine, and you're on this constant journey, because I'm not sure it's quite a destination, you're on this journey to try to get to that sort of repeatability and predictability. Early in, in a company's life cycle, you don't know. And then this is what I sort of emphasize, is that you kind of have to have this experimentation mindset and experimentation budget. So don't spend all $500,000 on one Super Bowl ad, which I don't think you can buy for that. But the point is, right, you know, that's a binary outcome. But if it's like, wow, you know, we're going to try this, we're going to try this, we think our audience spends time here. I mean, every fundamental marketing campaign is about, is essentially audience message and offer to me, right? Which is like, we're trying to reach um, electricians, and we think they have this problem, and our offer is blah. And that's kind of the playbook. And so having an agility to do that, an experimentation mindset, and it's, there's a lot of things around which you can you know, yield from, uh, from sort of agile software development, right? If you think about running right. marketing on a sprint, which is don't spend six months choreographing a campaign when you don't really know who your market is or who your customer is. It's okay for, for not to be sort of perfect and polished, right? Do a rough cut, stick it out in front of people and see if they engage. Um, so I think those are, those are important, important things. And then, you know, the instrumentation, I think, is also super important, which is all the dynamics of the business. And so as the, you know, as the head of marketing, you're going to have sort of silo in what you're doing. And, you know, Matt and you and I have talked about this for years, which is the marketing sort of value is sort of visible through the sales pipeline. And you ought to be proud of that as a head of marketing, which is to say, look, you know, let's do it. You know, you and the VP of sales walk hand in hand and talk about what's in the funnel. Right. Here's the qualified opportunities. Here's those that have a 70% or greater probability of close. Here's the closed ones. Here's yep. where they came from. Here's some that we don't know why they came to us. Yep. Because what you're trying to do is if you've now got some rhythm and momentum, right? Okay, we're, we're gaining customers at a higher velocity than we have in the past. Your job is to do that and crank that up and make that repeatable. Where did they come from? You know, what journey essentially did they go through? to kind of get to that state and then go find more of those. But again, I think the pipeline, right, is the place that you've got to get comfortable around because your board's going to be supportive of anything that's related to PR and events and whatever, but the output is what is generating potential revenue opportunities. And if you start there and the rest of the things are tactic. I agree. I loved your comments, your uh, your message around audience message and offer. I think that's a really nice three word consolidation of sort of the things you have to sort of have in mind. Well, we are late taking a break. We've got to take a quick break, pay some bills. We'll be back with more with Robert Pease on Sales Pipeline Radio. Sales teams, is your website helping you turn prospects into customers? Because Intercom thinks it should be. Intercom makes that little chat bubble in the corner of a website. That's their messenger. But it's so much more than that. 
The Intercom Messenger is designed for businesses to jumpstart on customer intent in the moment. It connects you when you're there or automatically books meetings and captures data leads when you're away. You'll sell more, more efficiently. Like Intercom user Elegant Themes. They added the Intercom Messenger to their site, and now they convert 25% of their leads to paid subscriptions through live chat. Just having the Messenger sparked valuable customer conversations that Elegant Themes might not have had otherwise. That's Intercom's whole deal, connecting you to customers while they're on your website with timely, personal insights. Because when customers have a great experience, it's great for business too. Help your website help you land more customers. Then see everything Intercom can do. Go to intercom.com slash deals today. That's intercom.com slash deals. All right, let's head it back to uh, Matt and his guest. And I uh, want to make sure before we uh, end in the last five minutes, or you both have my address for the, uh, I'm looking for a, a, a Matt Hines cap and then a uh, cap for the uh, Seed Capital Company here. We'll get you a cap. We'll figure out a way to do that. I have to start with what we have, which are pens and notebooks. We'll get you some swag, Paul. Okay. Mainly, Paul right. just wants to feel loved. That's we'll it. Take, take right. And then I wear it on all these shows, and everybody comments on it. Think of, think of the value of that here. Yeah. So I wonder, I think, Robert, hopefully you still have some of your Heinz marketing swag from the time that we were able to work together here as well. And I think back in, this is probably like three or four years ago, now you and another colleague, Brian Hansford, you know, did a few episodes of a, of a podcast called The Marketing Cranks. And um, you... Yeah. You're both super smart B2B marketers and, you know, would not just take contrarian views, but just get cranky about some of the best, some of the worst practices and things we see out in the market. And I'm curious, even though you haven't done an episode of the Marketing Cranks in a while, what are some things you still see in sales and marketing today that make you cranky? Man. Okay. Yeah. Well, so I and we've only, and we've only got eight minutes left in the show. So you got to, yeah, you know, I was going to say I could go a lot of different places for this. I, I think there's a, you know, I think there's a pragmatism to this, right? Which is there's no shortage of stuff in your stack that you can do that's going to give you this report or that report, and you can almost over-instrument. I mean, you know, one of the companies we worked with, you know, jointly, right, it was like, I was like, try this, and they tried it, and two days later, it didn't work, so they turned it off. And I'm like, you got two days of data, right? That That's just not going to do it. So the almost beholden to too much data. And then, you know, maybe I've distilled 20 some odd years of of go-to-market experience down to the three things with audience message and offer. But I mean, that's the playbook. And I think that the notion of agility and especially from marketing teams, right, which is your output is to the pipeline. And so you should do everything you possibly can to do that. And so I realize there's a lot of sort of traditional marketing aspects that are important, but they take so friggin' long to execute for minimum value. And so not that I don't believe that marketing and markets, you know, and that kind of thing is important. I think there's just this notion, especially in the early stages of a company. I mean, you've got to really roll your sleeves up and kind of get at it and not necessarily wrap yourselves in all the reports and all the data that can come out of all these tools now, because at the end of the day, right, what matters is who does business with you, how many customers you acquire, right? It doesn't matter how optimized your page is and how many click-throughs you get if that doesn't necessarily lead to some sort of revenue outcome for the company. So I may be a little cranky, but I think there certainly has been a, um, a little bit of clarity in, in all the marketing technology that's out there and all the large promises that had. And, you know, I ran a company, it was a marketing tech company, and it did all this stuff. I'm not sure that it necessarily moved the ball too much. 
right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that, you know, stay back to basics and, and kind of focus on that and agility and, and not get confused by the fact that you can, you know, hide behind your numbers that aren't really relevant to what the company really should be focused on, right? Which is net new customers, growth in existing accounts, because then that trickles into the true sort of P&L of the company, which means you're going to continue to have a job and the company's going to be successful and attract capital if you need to. Just a couple of minutes here with Robert Pease. He is the uh, managing director of the Cascade Seed Fund. And before I get to my last business question for you, we kind of have a good news, bad news situation with the University of Georgia right now. We've got Jake Fromm, who your quarterback is going to be leaving for the NFL draft this fall. So won't get a senior season from him. But it seems from everything I'm reading, it sounds like Georgia's recruiting continues to get better. So with one person leaving, there might be a lot more coming down the pike. And this is a team that just barely missed the playoffs this college football season as a as an alum and a, an avid fan. What do you think? What's 2020 look like for the Bulldogs? Uh, you know, I, I, I don't know. I was a little surprised, right? I thought Fromm would uh, would come back, and I was reminded of, like, you know, Peyton Manning came back for his senior year at the University of Tennessee because of this uh, the privilege of being a college you know football quarterback and a top-tier team. But a lot of things around economics these days, and kids get hurt and whatever, so I totally understand it. It'll be interesting to see. I think, you know, Kirby's done a, a great job of recruiting. Clearly has a lot of resources available to him, you know, and there's this other dynamic now where at the college level it's almost like kids can transfer so it's possible you get a transfer in of a quarterback, right, to sort of take advantage of all the resources that were there. So I think it's great. I was glad to see Jacob Eason have a great year at, uh, at at Washington, right? He's a ultimately super talented guy, clearly got more talented during his time at Georgia. Uh, <laughs> and, um, yeah, I think it's interesting. College football is a lot of fun. A lot of fun to watch, a lot of fun to pay attention to. Yeah, it is. That I mean, the transfer portal has made things very interesting, right? So you mentioned we lost our quarterback at University of Washington for this next year. I really hoped he was going to stay another year. But you look at the you know the graduate transfers that are available that could immediately have an impact. It gets really, really interesting. Is the transfer portal public? I don't think it is. That's actually a really good question. <laughs> is it? Uh, it'd be fun if it was public, and it'd be fun if they had a comment section. I mean, I still have all my eligibility left. I don't know about you, right? I, uh, I'd have to go. I'd have to go look it up. I'm pretty sure it's all still there. But yeah. Last question for you, Robert. Question that I'm affectionately titling: "The longer I live, and the more mistakes I make." And so the oh, point boy. is, for everyone that we have on the show, it's not that everyone is old, but like you've, you've had at bats, like you've been in the business world, you've been in life for a period of time. So this doesn't have to be your one biggest, greatest, uh, you know, lesson for people. But, you know, thinking back, you know, the life you've lived, the career you've had, the mistakes that you've made, what's a piece of advice or a lesson or an experience that you would share with others that hopefully they can learn from as well? Wow, that's a heavy question. I better make yeah. it count. I'm going to give you a, a, a quote my dad uh, gave me. You know, I'm a pretty pretty passionate and focused person, as you've uh, seen um, over the years. And I, maybe I still need to aspire to live to this. But his, his whole point, people will be losing their minds because something had happened or you lose a customer or something stupid happens at work. You know, this isn't anything that hasn't happened before. Yeah. And so... The details may be different, but a an error in an email campaign that goes out to 600,000 people, right? Well, that sucks to have happen. It makes you, you know, whatever. But it's, it's the type of thing that's happened before. Yeah. And so I think that, that looking at those things in context, I think, is, are, are super, super important. And so you know, it doesn't correct something that has gone bad, but I think it level sets and it should calm both yourself, right, and, and as a leader, right, those around you. I think that's super Super important. And the other is that right, there's no quantitative proof to this, but I always kind of believed in the 2% rule, right? The 2% rule is that no matter what you're doing, talk about a marketing campaign or whatever, that there's going to be an error, 
right? Yep. There's going to be something yep. wrong. Uh, and you can argue this isn't anything that you're trying to do, an event, uh, but whatever. The goal is to minimize what that 2% is, right? So there is, as I tell my children, right, there is no perfect. All you can do is seek to sort of do the best you can to get something where it needs to be. So somewhere yeah. in there is some wisdom. I, I don't know. But those are, those would be. I think those work. Uh, I think those work. And I'm getting the I'm getting the wind up here from Paul. I know they got another show coming I up. I think he might have to get on a plane and go audition for uh, to be the next prince of the royal family. So uh, I want to thank our <laughs> guests today, Robert Pease, uh, for joining us. If you like this episode, you can find it and others at salespipelineradio.com. Because I know we're about out of time. We're going to wrap it up on behalf of my great producer and the future prince, Paul. This is Matt Hines on Sales Pipeline Radio. 